right, welcome back into a new edition of Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Chris Kerber, Tim Woodburn, and Squirrely Dan with you here on the podcast. I, I mean, John Hadley. I mean, I mean, John Hadley. John, uh, Peter Patter. Peter yeah, Patter. Yeah, John, how are you now? <laughs> Very strong. Uh, not bad, and you? <laughs> I gotta listen one of these days, guys. Uh, uh, I'm gonna pull Kelly Chasen on this podcast for us because, honest to goodness, as I continue to watch more episodes of Letter Kenny, I think I'm watching a sitcom of all the different stories he has told me over the years. Oh, it's it's, it's incredible. In fact, I think in many cases, the main character has lived half of uh, Chaser's life. Oh, I mean, it is some parts of it are fun. My wife gave up. She goes, "Okay, this is stupid," and she was done. But that just means I can watch it now at my own pace, and I don't have to wait for the two of us to have time to watch a show. <laughs> and, uh, it, 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 and it is stupid, which is what makes it glorious. <laughs> well, listen, guys like stupid humor. It's okay. It, it's exactly. what we do. That I mean, I mean, Monty Python, uh, it, it, the, the, the king of dumb humor, brilliant humor. I shouldn't say dumb humor. It's brilliant humor. You know, Spaceballs, Mel Brooks. I mean, that's... That's that's what it that is what it's all about, fellas. Uh, we haven't talked in a week. The Blues have played a, a, a good number of games, and we've kind of seen the ups and downs of it. We've seen once again with a victory last night over the Las Vegas Golden Knights, uh, albeit uh, another two goal lead was lost, and you had to go to the shootout. So unfortunately, I think you gave away a point. So a win, a frustrating win, but a win nonetheless. So the first games of these two game sets, and there's been four of them so far, have been really good. The second game is, is, is where they've struggled. But at the same time, and Tim, I'll start with you with this topic here. I just, I look overall at this team and I'm thinking, don't worry too much right now. This is a, look, you're only seven games in. This is a team that's building towards something, getting their game back, finding a way to insert new pieces. And in this process, you know full well you have not played anywhere close to the top level that you want to play. And you sit two points out of first place in the West Division and only three points out of first place overall in the league. Four, two, and one, it's hard to argue with that record. I mean, I think if you would ask Craig Ruby at the beginning of the season, would four, two, and one after seven games be acceptable? What coach wouldn't say yes to that? I mean, to only lose two out of seven in regulation, I, I think any team will take that. But your point is well taken. There seems to be a consensus of everybody I know who follows the team, and, and I sort of get this vibe from the both of you that despite the fact they still have the seventh-best record in the NHL and, and Jordan Bennington is tied to the league lead and wins uh, at the goal center, the team still isn't playing at its optimum level, and I don't know why that cloud hangs over when you have the record you do. I, I guess it's because the, the stench of the 8 nothing loss and the 6-3 I mean, the two losses were ugly. Six and eight goals allowed in both of them, so I guess that kind of that that kind of that kind of lingers, despite the fact that they're doing a lot of great things as well, and we're seeing the emergence of a potential, dare I say, a superstar in Jordan Cairo, who night after night continues to do things and make moves that no one else on this team can do. Well, I would uh, disagree with both of you because when you get right down to it. I have no problem with the way hockey standings look in a newspaper like some, but they have three losses. And the fact of the matter is those three losses were pathetic losses. The San Jose, the San Jose loss is 
is covered by Bennington because the Blues played as bad a third period into the OT. That, that was just horrid, horrid hockey. The effort against the Kings, utterly pathetic. The effort against the Avalanche, utterly pathetic. So the way I look at it is, eh, talk to me in a couple of weeks and let's see if this trend continues. Because as far as I'm concerned, uh, with each series, we see the best and worst of this team. See, I always look at a team of this nature in regards to what's going to happen postseason. Now, we're only eight games into the season, although it's a much more significant eight games than ever before because you're playing 30 games fewer. Well, I, I will tell you this much right now. About the only three things that I'm happy about are the three things that seemingly a lot of people had questions on. I told you guys before the season, I thought that Falk would prove himself, show exactly what he brought to the table, that what I saw in Carolina when they acquired him, I was excited. I think he's a legit top-two defender in this league. He's proving that. That when it came to the wing, I was more intrigued with Tyru than Sanford, and that I had no problem with Bennington. If I have to judge the top players on this team, Colton Pareko is proving me right in regards to whether or not he's a legit number one hockey player or number one defenseman in this league. He's been good, but certainly not great. The captain, he might want to start playing a little bit more consistency, consistently. And with many of these guys, I can go right down the list. And it starts with some of the top performers. And ever since this coach gave Sanford a chance to prove himself, he's done nothing, absolutely nothing, zero, donut, and yet almost inexcusable how ineffective he's been. So as a Blues fan, I'm happy we have more wins and losses. As an analyst, this team remains seriously suspect to me because unless Bennington stands on his head and makes the clutch saves, and 99% of the times he has made the, the clutch saves this year, uh, I, I'm not overly impressed with what I see. All right. And well, if you're I, eight games in the, so I, I just completely look at it differently than you guys at this point in time because I've always thought the Pareko was one of the keys between this team being a playoff contender and a cup contender. And if there's not another level to Pareko this year, this team doesn't have a chance of winning the cup. Well, all right. I, 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 I disagree with you on the Pareko front and I disagree with you on the O'Reilly front. I think Colton Pareko has been fine. I do. I here's where I agree. I agree that there is another level, and he has to be better. And I think it's got to start when we, with, with one. I'd love, still love to see him shoot the puck. He just is not shooting the puck, way down in terms of shots. Now we talked to Craig Berube about that, and and part of that is the fact that they basically they took him off the power play with some of the other stuff that they've got going on. I like the minutes he's logging, and, and I think Colton Pareko is going to be just fine there. The challenge that they're having, and, and the coach is also pretty happy with Tory Krug right now. What they're finding is that Tory Krug is quick and moves the puck a lot quicker than maybe that they're used to. So the adjustment is adjusting to Krug's game, not Krug adjusting uh, to, to, to the other game. So there, there's part of that. I think the impact of Ryan O'Reilly is, is two things. One, I think it's just getting some games back under his belt where the hands start to feel and they connect with the rest of the body. I think we see that time and time and time again. 
Uh, so I, I'm perfectly fine on that front. He's logging all the hard minutes. I mean, he's eventually they had to rest him five on five with a back to back against LA because of all the, the shorthanded minutes he was logging. But to me, the key on that line becomes Zach Sanford. I think the last two games for David Perron have been better. The last game in Las Vegas for David was really good. You know, David is on his game when he starts to hold on to that puck. David Perron, when he is on, and it has been this way since day one for him in the National Hockey League. When David's game is on, that puck is sticking to him like Velcro, and he can be one of the hardest guys in the league to take it away from. When it's off, his passes are missing by 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 a foot, and the puck is bouncing off his stick. But we need, I think, more just consistent and playmaking parts for Zach Sanford. And here's the one challenge that that line has, in my opinion. Compared to the Shen Schwartz Kairu line, the Sanford O'Reilly Perron line doesn't have a ton of speed on it. And so they're defending against the other team's top lines. A lot of these other teams' top lines tend to have more speed. That increases the challenge. If they don't hold that puck in the offensive zone and do a little more creating and and working the puck down low, that is where that line is. If that's not the case, then they're going to probably have to go find a left winger that's got some speed. Because I'm actually intrigued to see what would happen if David Perron went to the left and Jordan Cairo with the way he was playing went to the right on that line right now and see how a little bit of speed would expect that. They got one. His name's Sammy Blay. Can can we free Sammy Blay? Can somebody find the keys for this guy to get out of his cell and to get on the ice? Who's who's the warden at that prison? Do you have his name or his email? Play the guy. Give him a shot. I'll make one quick comment then. Because I wanted to point out to you what I discussed, what I was texting you. Is the other thing is seven games into the season, I am tired of late period, pathetic, inexcusable penalties. Blame the refs if you want, but they're being called. How many? How many times? At least three times this year, they've they've had a lead going in late period and blew it with penalties. Well, it's, yeah. I don't know which way I want to go right now. I'm going to tell you this. Uh, I think at some point you have to see Sammy Blay in there. I, I don't disagree with you on that one at all, Tim. And then on the penalty side, yeah, the Blues are taking way too many penalties. They lead the league in holding penalties. Uh, that That is without a doubt a factor. That's just getting your body in some bad positioning and, and you end up having to take the hold. Now, I'm going to draw the line, though, on this Vegas game because I didn't. I thought it was some of the softest officiating that I have ever seen do a game. And I'm going to start with a call that went the Blues way. I'm going to start with the Alec Martinez call. That slashing call, and here's what happens. You had two young officials in the game, all right? So that's, and, and I'm, I'm going to go down this road, but don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm blaming the refs on the Blues penalty situation, John. I'm 100% on board with you on this. But the challenge is, is when you've taken the penalties that the Blues have played, and then on top of that, you end up, Getting the cheap calls, the weak calls, it snowballs on you. So, for example, the calls like that's two over-the-glass penalties right now on Colton Pareko this season. You've got Robert Thomas. The team's got all the momentum in the world, and he plays the puck off a face-off with his hand, and he knew it. It was just a brain fart, but he knew it. And that killed the momentum and potentially, who knows, maybe a comeback in that game with the way the Blues were starting to storm. Uh, the penalties have been an issue. But when the guy just kind of swings his stick in and he gets Jaden Schwartz on the, the shin pad, 
and you end up calling a slashing penalty, or you've got a guy as strong as Marco Scandella, and with one hand, he's able to knock Max Pacioretty out of the box area and towards the boards, and you call that a cross-check, and you put a team down 5-3, there's a difference in the young guys in the league that have a feel for the game and the older guys that are retiring, like a Tim Peel and others, that 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 have that feel that the young guys don't. And the the issue that I have is, let's say Jaden Schwartz had, that had looked at the referee because he doesn't call a slashing penalty against Alec Martinez. A veteran referee in the National Hockey League would look at Jaden and go, Jaden, are you serious? He barely even got you. Like, you really want me to call that kind of penalty? If you did that, we'll have a parade to the penalty box. We don't need that. Battle through it. Instead, you get the weak call that you did. And the, one of the issues that you had last night was the fact that because that was going on both sides of the fence last night against Las Vegas, you only had four minutes, like four minutes and 20 seconds of the first 13 that was five on five. And that's with two of the top teams in the league going head to head in, in what what's a spectacular hockey game. It drives me nuts. Well, the Blues are minus 13 penalties drawn versus penalties taken. That's the worst ratio in the entire National Hockey League. They're taking 11 and a half minutes of penalties per game. That's, that's, all, that's basically one-fifth of the game. You're playing shorthanded night in, night out. Uh, to have a 4-2-0-1 record with the worst plus-minus ratio of penalties drawn versus penalties taken in the league, that's unbelievable to me. And, 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 and the I, penalty there's kill. No, there's no way that that can continue. Oh man, I I I, compl- I completely agree on you. Now, John, I'll, I'll take I'll take your point, and I'm going to expand it one step further. There's a trend that's been going on with this hockey team for several years, and and I think the the fans have probably just probably want to climb through whatever the podcast window would be and, and grab me on this one. But I am just stunned with the continuation of blowing two goal leads. Now they've won some of these games exactly. like they did last night, but it's not just a one goal lead. They actually seem to play better hockey when they're playing with a one-goal lead. It's a two-goal lead. And, guys, I'm not talking this just happens five or six times a year. You go back over the last three seasons, and you're talking an average of 12 to 15 times a season that that is happening. I mean, now, part of it is the openness of the game. I get it. But there's just no way. That is way too much where I honestly just think it might be part of the team's DNA. Well, that's... Again, that's that's unfortunate because at some point in time, the odds are going to come back and bite you. Because again, if you, if if you truly tear down the start of Baruby hockey, it's one of those it's one of those things that you and I discuss. It's one of those things that you know at some point is going to come back to bite them, but. As you said, this has remained a key component in what has been, in the relative terms, a successful hockey team. So the frustrating thing is we continue to point this out, but they continue to win. I'm just counting the bubble last year. I'm talking about the season prior to the bubble and the run with Ruby the previous year and the start of this year. You know, I mean, it's just – it's perplexing. It really is perplexing that the numbers fail to support our concern and our contention regarding – this situation, but I guarantee you, it will catch up with you. It will catch up with you because the odds will balance out, you know, at some point in time. And you know, I mean, I, I just, I, I just, you know, Tim mentioned the penalty. Look at the score. You take it, even if you take away the Colorado game, 
even if you take away that loss to Colorado, the Blues right now are a plus three gold minus. They've given up 19 goals in six games, taking away that eight nothing loss. That's still not good. And I mean, it's just it, this team needs to be tightened up. This isn't John Hadley blowing up the Blues. This isn't John Hadley saying the Blues suck. John Hadley believes this is one of the five best teams in hockey, and I'm waiting for him to prove it. That's all. And, well, go ahead, you know, Tim. John mentioned O'Reilly and Stanford as, as guys that are underachieving. The only really, we all have our opinions on that. The only guy that really matters on that opinion is Craig Ruby, and, and he's not been a guy to bench star players or, or to take you know regulars out of the lineup. Vince Dunn led the team in games played last year, uh, and he was a healthy scratch last night. And, and it, I understand that the Blues can only protect three defensemen at the end of the season for the Seattle Kraken, and those are obviously going to be Pareko, Krug, and Falk. And, and I, I think it's pertinent at this time in the season, this shortened season that we discussed, whether or not they're holding him out so that they can have negotiations on trading him so that he doesn't get hurt. Is it his play? I realize he had a bad game against the Kings, but, you know, everybody's had a bad game this year. Who hasn't had a bad game this year? And, and my question is, do they do they get rid of him and get some pick for him now instead of getting nothing for him uh, at the expansion draft? Or is he just being punished, being benched? I mean, I, I, I would love to know what his future is, if there's a future for him with the St. Louis Blues. That is the voice of Tim Woodburn, who uh, for over 10 years did hockey play-by-play and then uh, a hockey executive in the American Hockey League as well, a publisher. John Hadley is along for the broadcast as well as John, not not only a radio host here in St. Louis on uh, 590 The Fan, KFNS, and runs the radio station, but also a longtime editorial consultant with the the Sporting News and and CBS and NFL and, uh, and Fox and NBC, and I'm Chris Kerber. Glad to have you with us. The episode and the podcast is Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a scotch that I think uh, some folks should try that they're gonna really like a little later on. We've got another Barn Burner story of riding the bus in the minor leagues as well. But let's delve into that latest topic now with the St. Louis Blues, Tim and John. As Tim just brought up, Vince Dunn. It's an intriguing one. Here's a player that last season did not have. Any arbitration rights in terms of salary. As a young defenseman, just a few years in the league, has proven to, to, I mean, he's won a Stanley Cup, so that goes for something. If you are the St. Louis Blues and you've got what you already have committed to Krug and Falk, and you know you're going to commit more to Colton Pareko, not after this season, but after next season, the only way this works is you have to keep then your next three defensemen in some level of financial certainty that, uh, that that you can manage the salary cap. We've seen what's happened already with the Edmonton Oilers, the Toronto Maple Leafs, and these other teams uh, that when it comes to the salary cap, when you get too top-heavy with just a few players, it becomes impossible, I think, to really have the depth you need to compete and win a Stanley Cup. That's where Doug Armstrong has been really, really good and smart. But it gets more and more challenging. Jaden Schwartz, for example, is up at the end of this season. So those are decisions you have to make where you have to decide to cut bait. If they don't see Vince Dunn in a top four role, eventually they're not going to be able to justify his salary after this season. He just signed a one-year deal. He will have arbitration rights at the end of this year. You've got a Nico Mikola who has looked really good in a couple of the games that he's played. And, he's, he, and he played in last that game against Las Vegas last night. He played with every other defenseman on the roster, it looked like. Still only played about 10, 12 minutes in the game. 
right? But then the other one that has to intrigue you, and they, you know, they have him on the taxi squad is Scott Perunovich. Does he come on eventually, like a eventually like Kale McCarr? I know Kale McCarr did it immediately, and it's not fair to maybe compare him to him. But you're talking about a guy that was the top defenseman in college hockey, won back to back national championships. Yeah, college hockey. So they figure this guy's going to factor in there. So it does seem to make Vince Dunn either expendable to explore, right? Or Vince has to turn around and really make a statement of why he is a guy that can make it be in that top four. Somewhere in there, I don't know where the fit is, but it is a storyline that they're going to have to follow because you're right, Tim. You know, at some point you have to decide if there is an interest on the market for somebody like that and you don't see the long-term future inside your organization, if that is the case and you can get something for him versus letting him go in an expansion draft as a possibility, I think you've got to explore that, don't you? Well, absolutely. And, and you know, let's, let's talk about what the difference is between a top 4D and a 5-6D. And a and Minutes played, for example. But look at the Blues and Vegas box score last night. Both teams had four defensemen play over 20 minutes a game, and the other two guys played about 10. Well, if Scandella and Krug and Pareko and Falk are those top four, are you, are you going to pay Vince Dunn that type of money to play 10, 11 minutes a game? Or would you rather you know, develop somebody like Mikola or Perunovic to get those 10, 11 minutes a game. And I realize you're going to need depth and there's guys who are going to get hurt. But if, if you're going to bump a guy to only 10, 11 minutes a game and you're going to have to expose him anyway and he has, and he has an asset, he, he has value, uh, I think that I think they owe it to themselves to trade him to get something for him if they're not going to play him 20 minutes a game. I just, I, you know, I, I, I've said it before when it comes to Stanford and Dunn. I just don't see their future with this team. Um, I, I think Dunn in the right situation might be, you know, a, a viable NHL defenseman. But right now, I, I just look at him as being a supporting piece that, in theory, in theory, within a year, could be replaced. I mean, the Mikula kid brings a heavier game, which I think in certain cases is important. And you have the Perinovich kid that you mentioned. I mean, I, I, I can't, I really can't see done in the future with this team. I, I really don't. I, I, I think ultimately, you know, if Tarasenko has any long-term uh, plans with this, if the team has any long-term plans with Tarasenko and some of the other younger forwards, I don't see a future for Stanford. I mean, I just, I, I can't imagine that this team's going to finish the season with both these guys. Just to be honest, I don't. It, it won't be a decision by Seattle. It'll be a decision with some other teams because I think both will be gone by the end. You know, there's another side of this, guys, and and this is the, the the side of it is in all fairness to Vince Dunn. I think there is more to Vince Dunn's game. It, he he's getting favorable matchups the way the Blues are using him, so you would expect to see more of that game against these favorable matchups. But having said that, he hasn't been given a whole ton of a lot of opportunity in those top-end matchups, skate out, you know, final minutes of games, different things like that. In a case of Vince Dunn, when you're a young player and you've been brought into the National Hockey League by the St. Louis Blues, you want a Stanley Cup. A heck of a start to a career, man. I mean, a, a, a good start to his career. For him to advance his career, it might have to be somewhere else when you look at the way the Blues have structured the defense. And in all honesty... I don't think that there's anything wrong with looking at it from that standpoint, Tim. 
Doug Armstrong has always you know impressed me with with his timing of when he makes moves. You know, and and, and frankly, he's been a, a fox in the chicken coop when it comes to getting guys like. Ryan O'Reilly, for example, or Braden Shen. I mean, those were just total highway robbery deals, both of them. Uh, I don't know how the Blues view and analyze the upcoming 2021 draft and, and where they view themselves from a depth standpoint, but I, I think Vince Dunn has shown enough in his career that he is worthy of at least a third-round draft pick, if not better, by another team in the National Hockey League. And if the Blues can get that for him, and, and get the plus of developing either Mikola or Perunovic, whichever one they decide is going to fill that uh, fill that slot, uh, I say now is the time to do that. Absolutely. Guys, uh, you look around the National Hockey League, well, we got, we've got the Blues in Vegas tomorrow night. One more thing here. I don't know about you guys. I'm extraordinarily curious how that game is going to go from the standpoint of they gave up 83 shot attempts to Vegas in the first game of this series. Somehow you've got to tighten that up. You've got one day to do it. And at the same time, the way they've played in these second games, I've got to think that you either have to find another level to come out with or, or they could run you over tomorrow. This this one is a fascinating game, too, to me, maybe more so than the other three. And, John, I know earlier in the podcast you talked about how disgusted and frustrating you were with the efforts in those second games. I mean, the cat's out of the bag here. They're, 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 you've already had it happen three times. You know who you are going up against, and you know how hard it was to go to play that game last night. There's really zero excuse on the expectation front for tomorrow night, isn't there? Oh, I, I would be, I would be utterly shocked to learn that Vegas wasn't bet up around the various sports books in this country. You'd be crazy not to bet on Vegas tomorrow. They were blown out by eight. The San Jose game, like I said, the, third, the the last 25 minutes of that game was pathetic. The Kings game, they got a couple stupid penalties at the end of the first period. Next thing you know, they're owned on their home ice by probably one of the 10 worst teams in the league by, by season's end. Yeah, I mean, I, I think expectations are the Blues are coming home with four losses. It would be, what, technically four, three, and one. I, I, I had Not a- coming home, but, I mean, I, I just uh, – there's every reason to believe that's going to be the case. I certainly hope I'm surprised. And I think it's a little unfair to really, I guess, I guess maybe I'm overstating it, but yeah, I mean, based on, based on, on the past, it's fair to, but you know, Vegas is a hell of a hockey team. You know I mean? If you the splits and if they split with Vegas and, and they split with Colorado on the surface, you're good, man. You go to those two buildings, you come away with the win. That's cool. It's just what leaves a sour taste is the 60 minutes after the fact of the second game. I just hope that's not the case tomorrow. I just hope that's not the case. I mean, but past history would tell you otherwise, which is why I'm looking for this team to level. I just want this team to level. I mean, hell, even in their wins a couple times, they've been inconsistent in period. But again, it's early in the season. Um, We've seen this. We've seen this story before, and that's why I'm concerned. There's there's a tone of aggravation in this podcast that that I guess I I accept to a certain degree, but you know, hey folks, we're not last year's playoff found Edmonton Oilers at three and five. We're not last year's Vancouver Canucks who beat the Blues in the playoffs sitting at three and five. Those are teams whose local media should be hitting panic button podcasts. You know, we're we're, we're sort of spoiled brat here. We're two years off of a cup and one year off of a of a conference number one 
first place in the standings when the season was shut down. So, you know, our, our expectations, I, I think, are a, a little bit spoiled by what's happened the last two years. This team's still 4-2-1. and one. John makes a great point about the second game. They've been horrible in the second in all of the second games that they've played this season of the two game series they played. Uh, the, for whatever reason, they they're, they're not able to boot and rally and, and, and make an effort on the ice in the second. I don't have any explanation for that. I have absolutely zero explanation as to why we see the St. Louis Blues play the way they do in Game One of a two game series, and then their evil twin sister Rebecca comes out and shows up for Game Two. I don't get it. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, why why you got to why you got to pick on Becky? I don't know, but. <laughs> I, I, I will. I will tell you. I will tell you this much right Listen, now. Listen, I got to hang on a minute. Hang on. I got. I got a sister named Karen and a sister named Becky, and I don't want to hear it from either buddy. Like I'm like those mean. Like no, no chance. Hey, listen. Well, that. By the way. I'm sorry to cut you off there, John, but that was kind of the whole point of the way we started this podcast, where you can break down the blues the way we have over the last thirty minutes, but what you have to keep in mind is knowing that they haven't played their best at the beginning of a season of a 56-game schedule is that you are sitting two points out of first place in a West division. So, like, I'm saying that you have that angst because you have expectations of seeing a better all-around product, but you have to sit there and go, holy cow, even without seeing it, look at where they're at. And that has to give you reason to pause and say, as I like to always say, just enjoy the ride. Enjoy the right. Like people want to ask right now. I'm doing all these interviews and they go, "Man, are we seeing a budding superstar in Jordan Cairo?" Man, I don't know. I sure as hell hope so. But here's what I do know: I'm enjoying the ride of watching him play maybe the best stretch of his seven games in the NHL that we've ever seen. Now, can can we sit here three or four weeks from now and say we've just seen the best 25 game stretch of his NHL career? That's what's important as people start to circle his name on there. But the reality yeah. is, is this. You're you're in an okay spot, and you know the team is well coached. So I, I'm I'm not at all worried right now. Well, the only thing the only thing missing from Jordan Cairo's goal last night. I'll keep this brief. The only thing missing from Jordan Cairo's goal last night was Alex Petrangelo pulling out a saddle and riding his back as he drove to the net. <laughs> I mean, not many guys are going to do that to Alex Petrangelo with Jordan Cairo did last night. And I, I'm just saying, I said the last show, and I'll say it this show. Every time he touches the puck in open space, I get excited that something special is about to happen. He has that kind of speed move, and apparently he now has the size and strength to execute. Uh, budding is the word I would definitely use with regard to uh, an, an analogy for him. Hey, I want to jump around and on I, a, I, ahead, I, will, I, I will quick I will quickly put it this way. You, you can look at the standings, but unfortunately, I watch the game. If the Blues were not utterly dominated on their home ice by San Jose for 25 minutes, and if the Blues weren't owned by a very pedestrian Kings team, I would have no concerns. Like I said, I, I've said before, I'll say again, I think this is a top five team. I think this is a Stanley Cup contender. Yeah, but how do you prove me right? But how Just do you balance right. that? Yeah, but okay, and I understand that. And I'm I, I understand the reason that you're asking for consistency through the first seven games. I get it. I get that. But because this you is also a sprint, can't ignore this, but, is, this is not a marathon. This is a sprint this year. Well, it, it is. It, it is to some degree, but you still have the time to build something. And now, but at the same time, you can't ignore that first game against Colorado. You can't ignore no. the first games too. So you have to somehow blend the first games with the second games. 
Don't you? you know, and John, I mean, Vegas is a good team, but you know they got blown out once this year as well. You know they got down. They got Arizona beat them, beat them up in their one loss in regulation. Every team has stinkers. It, it, it's a matter of, I guess, keeping them. No, 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 no. Vegas, Vegas has not had the stinkers that the Blues have had up to this point. I, they, just, they've I'm had just, two. I, I, they've had two fewer. Two. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Which. Which right now amounts to thirty three percent of the games played. Well, that's that, that's that's true. When we're talking percentages, uh, that 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 part is true. All right, listen. Well, this is going to be fun to, to to recap the next couple of games with you and see how that goes because I love the way this has gone. It's bourbon biscuits and barn burners. Uh, we, you can get the podcast downloaded on all the different podcast platforms. Chris Kerber, Tim Woodburn, John Hadley with you, the main hosts of the podcast. I want to run through a couple of topics around the National Hockey League just real quick before we get to uh, to our, our spirit of the week and then uh, our barn burner story. But first off, a couple quick things. Uh, I, positive stories in the National Hockey League, which are always good. I know it's easier to debate the negative ones, and I do have one maybe to throw at you, right? But, guys, this, this is cool. I think the fact that Jack Roslovic is about to make his debut for the Columbus Blue Jackets is a great story in the National Hockey League. A franchise in its 21st year basically having his its first homegrown player, a player that started playing hockey because the Blue Jackets were there, right? A player that played within the Blue Jackets system, you know, at least at least a triple A, a AAA system that, that donned the Blue Jackets names. It's no different than when Cam Jansen finally played for the Blues or Ben Bishop or eventually what we've seen in the NHL with, with the Kachucks and, and all the others from that first round class. Pat Maroon. Pat Maroon. I, I think that this is a fantastic story for the National Hockey League and the Columbus Blue Jackets because it shows the foothold that a franchise can can put in a market. Um, not only not only do I agree with you, Curbs, I think that this deal, we may look back at this deal three months from now and pinpoint the fact that the Columbus Blue Jackets are once again proving to be a pesky out for any team in the East because not only can the Russell, the guy, play, but... If he and Line A play up to their ability, Columbus oh. Blue Jackets are a hell of a lot better team than what they were prior to the trade. Absolutely. Much stronger up the middle. I think it's all going to depend on how much they play him. You know, in, in Winnipeg, he was never a top six guy. He was a guy that averaged about 10 minutes, 12 minutes a game of, of ice time. It's a question Tim, look, at the top, <laughs> look at the top six wingers that, that they had. I mean, they, that was a pretty solid group of top six wingers. Yeah, but even guys, well, I, he, I agree. Well, he's a, but he's a center. I mean, well, I, I guess he can play both. I mean, he's listed as center on on uh, NHL.com. But you know, it, it's all about it's all about getting the time. I, I think Oscar Sundqvist is a top six player, but he's not getting that opportunity. I think he would thrive playing with elite players, but he, I, I don't know if he's ever going to get that chance or how long he's going to have to wait to get that chance. Maybe a change of scenery will allow Jack Roslovic to show that he can be that. I just still absolutely love the story. This one's more of a an editorial here. Uh, we, we've got a lot of terrific broadcasters around the National Hockey League, and a lot of a, a lot of really nice guys, helpful guys, caring guys that just work on their craft and, and and do a hell of a job. I'm so thrilled, and I'm not at all surprised. I think the writing was on the wall. You didn't need much of a crystal ball to see that with the way Carolina kind of messed around with Johnny Forsland. 
Um, that to see him, he'll be primarily just for NBC this season, but to see him announce yesterday that uh, he will be the television voice of the Seattle crack. And I, I think it's awesome. So I'm thrilled for him. I, I still hope somewhere along the lines, we, we get to hear, um, well, well, we'll hear him obviously on, on the TV side, you know, but the, I hope we get to hear Chuck Caton doing some games somewhere as well. Uh, you know, two great guys that just, fell victim, what I think, to some poor decisions on the marketing side by the Carolina Hurricanes. So I'm, I'm thrilled that Johnny Forslund wound up on his feet out in Seattle, and that's a that, that that's a great landing spot for him there. Um, here, I wanna, here. Yeah, I just, here, here. You're, out, you're, you're on the roll, man. Those are two great points. Um, lastly, lastly from around the National Hockey League. Make it a hockey trick. Make it a hat trick, man. Come on. Ah, man. Can I – I am, you know that I love the battles of hockey, okay? You know that I want to see the old-time battles coming in. Like, I miss, I miss the battles of Adam Foote and Keith Kachuk in front of the net. I miss the battles of Chris Pronger and anybody in front of the net. All right, I miss the, the, the toughness that it took and the bravery and courage that it took to go into the tough areas knowing you were going to have to battle. So this is why I've got this just, Bone of my craw right now about about this. When, when it's okay to play tough hockey, it's okay to let tough hockey be played. But stupid hockey is where you have to draw the line. And I don't care if he's the captain of the Vegas Golden Knights. I don't care if he's their top player. If you're going to suspend Sammy Blay for the two games that you did after the hit on Devon Taves. Right when Taves lost the puck, the puck went to the board. Sammy actually had the puck first. Taves saw him coming and reached for it. But you're going to decide that that is a suspendable hit. But you don't even want to review the Nachushkin hit on Robert Bortuzzo, where the elbow comes up and concusses the guy, and he's out for a couple weeks. And you don't want to even review the Mark Stone hit on Tyler Bozak. What in the hell is going on? Like the, the reality of it is, for me, is. Again, I like tough hockey. I'm okay that he had to answer the bell in a fight with Justin Falk. But even after the game when he said he did that because it was a retaliatory thing to the battle that he and Bozak were having. Look, there's there's plays that happen in the game of hockey. To me, that was a cheap play. You got an unsuspecting Bozak. The guy steps in front of him and pops him. Did he get him in the chin? No, he got him kind of in the sternum and the shoulder. But you're not expecting that to the point... Then you hit him to where he turns around and hits his face on the ice and doesn't return because of, of concussion symptoms. Dude, I, I have no idea what's going on, but how you can justify a two-game suspension to Sammy Blay and think you don't even review those other two plays? And then you think you're actually sending a message and uh, of consistency or how the game should be played? Give me a doggone break. I'm done. Yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm throwing my head on the ice. That is unquestionably a first period hat trick, mister. Uh, I, I, you know Mark Stone's become one of my favorite players. I brought him up last week on the show. But that's just inexcusable. And I talked to two former NHL players today who said that that was just a dirty, dirty hit. And both of them emphasized, and not having played the sport, I can't really answer to it, but having played football, I can understand it. You know, those are dangerous hits when your momentum is being stopped unknowingly especially in open ice like that. I'll tell you this much right now. I'm utterly shocked that one, they're not looking at it just because of the hit, but two, as you mentioned, he intimated that it was a retaliatory hit. Uh, I'm, I am completely shocked by that. Completely 
shocked by that. And uh, today was one of the few days that I regret not being on the air regularly and running a radio station because I, but it goes back to the NHL and some of their refereeing decisions. All I got to say is thank God we're not major league baseball because they're killing their own sports. (laughs) Hockey just can't get the refereeing right. But anyhow, go ahead. You know, there haven't been a lot of suspensions in the National Hockey League this year. I, I've, been, I've been monitoring that, looking at lists of them. There, there's not been a whole lot. So to, to Chris's point, you know, I, I realized that that was a reviewable hit, and, and they made the decision that they did. And, and you know, it's just like refereeing and officiating any sport. I mean, we're, we can sit here and complain about it all day long in any sport. But having said that, at least there's not a flurry of suspensions going on league-wide for hits. It's only been an occasional situation where, where it's happened. I'd be more concerned if it was if it was getting blown out of proportion in numbers, and, and in my opinion, it has been. But to that point, somebody, like, you, I'm trying to understand the logic of the Hoffman hit compared to the Sammy Blay hit, and I can't find it. That's my problem. I, like when I when I get on officials and officiating or decisions or something like that, I understand that each one is an individual case, and there are individual scenarios that play along. I totally get that. What I'm looking for is consistency of application. In other words, if you hear me gripe bang, about a bang, call on the bang. air, if if you hear me gripe about a call on the air, the gripe is: Can you uphold that level of standard? In other words, there was no way that Trevor Hansen, the referee in last night's game, could uphold the standard of the slash he called on Alec Martinez. It was impossible to do that. All right, so that's why I didn't like the call. And this one this one just gets to me, but all right, get a pen, guys. Write this one down, all right? I'm going to give you a scotch. And I know it says bourbon in the, in the title of the podcast, all right? But if we're going to kind of cover all scotches and whiskeys, Irish whiskey too, and, you know, and, and, and things as we do that. But let's face it, the... The alliteration there with uh, with bourbon, uh, bourbon biscuits and barn burners uh, just seemed to be too good to pass up. Okay, it's called Oshitoshin, all right? And I'm going to spell it for you because if you try to do it phonetically, it's you're going to mess it up. A-U-C-H-E-N-T-O-S-H-A-N. A-U-C-H-E-N-T-O-S-H-A-N. Oshitoshin. Now, there, there's there's several different kinds. This one runs about 70 bucks a bottle, but it's worth it. It's the Ocean Toshin 3 Wood. 3 Wood, all right? And, and, the, and the key here, okay, is it's it, it's matured in three different cask types, from American bourbon to Spanish or Loso sherry, you know, and then, and then finally in, in some other sherry casks. And I'm telling you guys, it's fantastic. Now, here's the tip. This this is the tip, and this is a uh, Randy over at Randall's uh, Wine and Liquors uh, taught me this, and and he he's a fantastic resource. All right, put it in a glass, do it neat. Put it in neat, so don't put it in there with any with, with any ice. All right, yet yet okay. Just put it in there neat. Take a sip of it. Try it. All right, then take an ice cube and and do this with all your scotches and whiskeys. Take an ice cube, hold it over your glass, and just drop about four to five drops off the ice cube into the glass and then throw the ice cube away. Swirl it around, let it sit for just a couple of minutes, and then try it again. The way that the water from the ice cube mixes with the alcohol in the drink, it releases so much more flavor, and guys, it's unbelievable. Then if you really like, if you like your your bourbons, your scotches, your whiskeys, and you like it on the rocks, 
Put it over a rock. It's just fine. If you like it neat, that's fine too. There's no judging. There's no right way to do it. It's it's however you like it. But anytime you're trying something new, and I'm going to highly recommend that Ocean Toshin, the three wood. It's worth a few extra bucks. Spend 70 bucks on the bottle. All right. Uh, and and just, just hold that. I Try it. Then do the ice cube thing. Taste the difference. I'm telling you, it changes the the it changes the tasting game of your of your drinks tenfold. It's fantastic. So that that's my tip of the week on that front. If I can ask one question, a buddy of mine who listened to a previous podcast said, you know, whiskeys and bourbons can go with food, normally bar food, but curbs should suggest something to go along with the drink. Ooh. Appetizer, burger, chicken, whatever. Do you have any suggestion for this? Uh, right now, yes, a second drink. Very nice. <laughs> well, it, 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 as, as the Wolf Blitzer of the show with a journalism degree commitment to accuracy, I have to say, A, I will take your hearty suggestion, but B, I'm on the well, I'm on their website right now, and literally their first page is how to pronounce, and they call it Hockenkotion, O-C-K. They, they 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 pronounce it with the German with the German approach to the A U C H. Exactly. There's the, literally page one is how to pronounce it before you even get into what it is, and it it says Akintoshin, challenging to say, easy to drink. I uh, that's that's perfect. Which is that that's that's a fitting way to do it. I think I'm gonna still call it Ocean Toshin until until uh, somebody comes <laughs> after me. I heard Ocean a guy. Ocean sounds more like a stripper's name. I, I like the Akintoshin. <laughs> it's sort of like I heard a guy last night on the radio trying to talk about Alex Petrangelo after the Blues game. And, and he said, Petrangelo. And I'm sitting here, good God, it's been like 10 years and we still can't say his name right. And yet somehow, somehow we can say Athens see you without a problem. Well, you know what? There's a, uh, there was a goalie in the, in the National Hockey League, Frank, and he spelled his name exactly the way Petrangelo does, and he pronounced it Peter Angelo. Yeah, but it's his uncle. So listen to this. I did a, I oh, did an, it. Yeah, it's it's Alex's uncle, Frank Peter Angelo, who who won the Stanley right. Cup. I mean, that's there's two Petrangelos on the Stanley Cup. Frank won it with uh-huh. the Pittsburgh Penguins. Obviously, Alex won it with the St. Louis Blues. Alex's dad. I still have the interview in my in my files, guys. Alex's dad is on one of the road trips. I grabbed him. I want to say this was in Carolina, and I said. And, and or Florida might have been might have been down in Florida, and I and I said, okay, how do you say it? And he said, Petrangelo. I said, that's what your son says. I go, how is it that your brother says Peter Angelo? He goes, because he's been saying it wrong his whole life, and we give him grief about it at every family function. <laughs> and I've got that interview on tape. If anybody doubts me on it, <laughs> I just love it when one when one, one person in the family says. Somebody else in your family's been doing something wrong their entire life. Yeah. I got a couple of people in my family I can say that about. That's well, hilarious. You know the other guys. There, there was a, a, a Milan McCulloch and a Zabinic McCulloch. Uh, one of which played for the St. Louis Blues, right? Just real briefly. Mm-hmm. Okay, these two brothers played in the National Hockey League at the same time, and one was in. I think it was Zabinic that was in Arizona. <laughs> And then Milan was in San Jose, maybe. I'm just I'm racking my brain off the top of my head, guys. So I, I might have that sadly wrong. The brothers told their broadcasters that they pronounced the name differently. The brothers that that, that did that. So we'll, we'll get. You know what? One of these we're going to get into some. Well, maybe maybe sometime in the next couple of weeks we'll get into some name pronunciation stories because it's amazing how some guys start with one pronunciation, want to change it, and then say no, it doesn't matter. And 
it was even more fun when you're, when you're going up through the minors and nobody wanted to tell you how to say a name, which was another way to do it. <laughs> Fellas, awesome show this week. Thanks uh, thanks a ton. It's been uh, the, the show, of course, the podcast is Bourbon Biscuits and Barn Burners. Tim Woodburn, John Hadley, I'm Chris Kerber. We hope you've had a great week. Have a great week, guys. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Chris. All right, download the podcast on all the different podcast platforms, and we will talk to everybody next week and hopefully a few more Blues wins to talk about as well, and we'll get around more news and notes around the National Hockey League. We'll talk to everybody next week. Have a terrific week of hockey.